This book is my all-sufficient guide for faith and conduct. Then our uh, uh, reason we exist as a church, I haven't said this for a while, and I'm going to tell you again, this is the purpose of North Lake Church, that Jesus has changed our lives, and we ought to let it change others. So we say, convinced Living water changes everything one life at a time. Praise the Lord. Well, get ready. I'm going to talk to you about faith doing the impossible. Faith does the impossible. There is no way you can look at the scripture, you can look at the the life of Jesus through the Gospels and read what Jesus did as he was here and not understand that faith does the impossible. We are going to be looking at Mark 5, 21 through 43. And I want to welcome all those who are watching us by live stream. I continue to have many people who say, yeah, I watch all the time by live stream, so welcome to North Lake if you're watching by live stream. But I want to first of all talk about one of the most powerful things that we can talk about when we mention faith, and that is what we just celebrated in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. We don't serve a God that is dead and in a tomb. We serve a God who is alive and conquered death. Hallelujah. We just talked about that and how the resurrection was confirmed and how it is one of the most provable facts of history. So uh, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we are going to see some amazing things that Jesus does with faith with uh, a man who has his little daughter who is dead and a woman who has suffered many years and no one could help her. So let's look. We're going to turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, and we are going to start at verse number 21. And when Jesus had crossed over again into the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered about him, and he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and upon seeing him fell at his feet and entreated him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. And he went off with him, and a great multitude was following him and pressing in on him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse, after hearing about Jesus, came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I shall get well. And 
immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed from her affliction. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the multitude pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see a woman who had done this. But the woman, fear and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they, come, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what had been spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he beheld a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And he entered in and said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, come, which translated means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl rose and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately there was com they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he, gave, and he said that something should be given her to eat. What an incredible, incredible, incredible passage of Scripture. I want to talk to you three things in regards to faith as we look at this passage of Scripture. They are, number one, faith is involved in everything that God and Jesus do. Number two, faith is subject to God. Number three, faith in God alone. So I want, the, those are the three things we're going to talk about as we look at this passage of Scripture. The first thing that we are going to talk about as we look at this, and there is no doubt here, faith is involved. When you are serving the Lord, we talked about it last week, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those who come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him diligently, okay? So we know that, but looking at this, we see miracles and looking at the word of God. We are looking at two and they're pretty substantial, 
I mean, we read through the story, you're dealing with a woman who uh, 12 years had struggled, year after year. And she not only struggled, but she went to doctors of her day, many it says. She didn't go to one doctor, she would, like we, if, if we go to one and, and we just really don't feel that we're getting what we think we ought, there are a lot, lot of other doctors. She went to many physicians. And it says more than that. She spent everything she had to get well. And instead of getting well, she got worse. Now you talk about being in a spot of being disheartened. You talk about being in a spot where you would say, what is the use? I mean, that, that lady had a reason to give up. And then Jairus, here he is, he has an encounter with Jesus, and according to the passage we just read, it was Jairus who came to the Lord before the woman even came. In fact, in the text that we read, Jesus was on his way with Jairus to go heal his daughter when he got interrupted because this woman with the issue of blood said, I have got to press in. Now, I didn't talk to you about this, but you realize according to the Old Testament standards of a person being unclean, the fact that she would be in the midst of that crowd with the issue that she had, any one of those people could have stoned her to death right on the spot. She had to be bold in what she did. She said, man, this is my only and last hope. I've got to get to Jesus. I've got to press on. I've got to grab a hold of him. And then Jairus, here he is. He's kind of standing there in the midst of all this. And, of course, the woman with the issue comes in and presses in. And Jesus, of course, deals with what happened. I don't know how long it, it, it took but if you had a little girl who was uh, sick and about to die, I would think that seconds would seem like hours. <laughs> I would think like if you knew a doctor who would be able to take care of your dying daughter and he walked in and someone said, oh, well, we got something else. And he grabbed the chart and said, oh, well, let me look at it before I go in there we would literally be tearing our hair out. We would be freaking out. I've been there as a father with my kids. It is uncomfortable. And Jairus must have really had something going on internally. Okay? And then uh, uh, the reason I say that is even to the point where uh, after Jesus gets through with the woman with the issue of blood... People from his own house came and said, look, your, your child, your, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher? It's too late. And Jesus at that time looked at him and said these words, don't be afraid anymore. There had to have been some incredible fear in Jairus. He loved his daughter, and he saw it coming to an end, and there was nothing he could do. And at that point, Jesus said, don't be afraid anymore. Only believe. Well, that faith and that belief is like this guy leaping. 
there's that part of you that says, yes, I'm going to do it. And that's that part of you that says, this is the stupidest thing. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Bible declares it. We see it in the scripture time and time again. We not only read about it in the scripture, there is countless thousands of reports, medically documented reports of people being healed of all kinds of various diseases from not only long ago, but from even up to this point. I hear missionaries that are working, especially in the area of uh, people that are struggling uh, with the epidemic of AIDS, who when they give their heart to the Lord and they have been given a death sentence, go back to the doctor only to have a medical confirmation that it is gone, that it is no longer in their body. So we know that the Lord works and does miraculous, incredible things. We've heard the testimonies, and maybe even you're here today, and you have a personal experience of God healing you from something. Whether it be large or small, you know that the Lord touched you somehow. And you have that personal testimony, and what an awesome thing it is. In fact, the scripture says in Luke chapter uh, 18, verses 1 through 8, Jesus, when he talked about his, to his disciples about prayer, said they should always pray and never give up. So where is the point that you know that God has given you an answer? See, this is where I'm going to really slice because I will say another thing. We're talking about faith being involved right now, point number one. The fact is faith needs to be involved in your life or it's very clear, you can't please God. But there's another aspect of faith that I'm going to be very frank with you and say there's been some real poor theology on faith. There's been theology that causes people to shipwreck their life because of bad theology. Because people end up blaming God because man told them something instead of God. So we need to be careful as we go through this because there's no question that faith is involved. There's no question that God says for us to pray again and not give up. Luke 18, 1 through 8. Jesus said, pray and never give up. So where do you know to release it and give it to God? Well, we're going to talk about this because as we look at this second point that we're going to talk about this morning, we're going, the second point is faith is subject to God. Now, I will tell you, that is good theology. Now, it may challenge what you've maybe heard because there are some who have taught faith in faith. Incorrect. It is faith in God and it's subject to God. This idea that we ourselves are a God and can speak whatever we want into existence is not 
biblical. Uh, boy, it's awful quiet, <laughs> but that is good theology. Because the scripture says that God is the one that is on his throne. In fact, it says in Isaiah 66, uh, chapter 66, verse number 1, God is in heaven and it is his throne and the earth is his footstool. And he does as he pleases. That's pretty much saying he's in control. The scripture, no doubt, says that God is our father. You show me an example of a father that never, ever says no, and you tell me how their kids turned out. Do you hear me? Yet we don't like that because we want to say, well, God's going to do whatever I say. What chapter and verse is that? Is God going to bless you? Does God care about your needs? Does God want you to believe? Yes, he wants you to believe. Yes, he says, without faith, it isn't going to happen. But if your earthly father sees what is best for a child at three years old and two years old and even 16 and 17, <laughs> had to get that in, how much more does God see than we? Sometimes we feel God is so unfair, don't we? That's really what this, I think, has come down to. We, we, we almost make ourselves believe if it doesn't happen that way, God's just unfair. And we hear the same thing in a little child, don't we? My mom and dad just don't understand, don't we? I don't understand why I can't have three bowls of ice cream for dinner. Boy, that's me. <laughs> but how many of you know if you always have that and never get anything else, some point you either have to say no or you're going to be physically in trouble. So I want to talk a little bit more about the second point, faith is subject to God. It is not faith in faith that we believe in. And if it is, I will tell you, the power of positive thinking uh, is, is a great thing. I mean, in and of itself, God has created our mind to be an amazing thing. And there is some good that can become of you if you just seem to think positively. You know, you'll do a lot better if we don't think negatively, but think positively. But that will only take you so far. <laughs> And there comes to that point where there is nothing else that physically man can do. It's over. And at that point is where God steps in. I've seen it happen every time. I've seen God do it. But 
here's talking a little bit more about faith being subject to God. Psalm 115.3, again, talks about the fact that God is the one that has the final say. He is in heaven, and he does as he pleases. I'm going to now take to you to a, a portion of Scripture that is debated all the time, and it's just one of the things that I have learned because I could do that. I could take a point and I could debate it and debate it and debate it until it's, it's beating a dead horse. And I have found that when the Bible says, the psalmist writes, I have quieted my soul before God like a weaned child. That there are times I just need to be quiet and just look at the word of God and hear from his spirit. The, the story I'm going to talk to you about is Paul, the apostle. There's been more uh, uh, discussions and, and really, really fights over faith on this one thing because they, they, you know, what do you say? Paul didn't have enough faith? This one who prayed over handkerchiefs in Acts and sent them out and had people healed because he prayed over a piece of cloth? Are you going to say he didn't have enough faith to believe that his physical ailment could be healed? Are you going to tell me Paul was sinful and that's why he didn't get healed? Where are you going to go? I'm going to go to the sovereignty of God. I'm going to punt to providence every time. I am going to go to God and say, God, there's something about this that I may not fully understand but that's because you're God and I'm man. <laughs> and I haven't got it all figured out. So I, wanna, I want you to turn there because I want to read a couple of those verses. They're so important because what's the thing when you hear about uh, Paul uh, having this thorn in his flesh, what do we immediately start arguing over? What was it, Right? Oh, it was his eyes. No, it wasn't his eyes. It was this. I mean, I've been in every kind of discussion with everybody you can think of. And I always come back to the same conclusion. If God wanted us to know, he would have said it. God doesn't say. And we got to be okay with that. He doesn't tell us what it was. What does he tell us? It is more important what God does say than what he doesn't say. This is what he says. Let's look at uh, verse 7 through 9. Uh, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
For power is perfected in weakness. More, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. We still can find ourselves wanting control over things. But we have no control. Just as Jesus looked at Pilate, and we talked about this during Easter, and Pilate railed on Jesus saying, don't you realize I have the power to crucify you or set you free? And Jesus, with all his love, looked at him and said, you have no power over me if it weren't first given to you from above. Jesus really had the faith thing down. Jesus understood it. Jesus knew what it was to say that his father is in control. And really, that's what this is talking about. And I wanted to quote this one, Job 23, 13 through 14. He, what he desires, he does, for he will complete what he appoints for me. That's the sovereignty of God right there. And, and it bothers us because immediately, you know, on Wednesday nights, we're right at that portion of Scripture in John 21 where after the resurrection, uh, uh, Jesus is talking to Peter. This is interesting. And he tells Peter how he's going to die to glorify God. That's what that scripture says. But I know this is meat, but you need to chew it today. If we were looking at faith in faith theology, Peter should have never been crucified upside down on a cross. Do you hear me? We've got to come to grips in the church with the sovereignty of God. We've got to come to grips to say, yes, God gives us faith. Yes, we are to pray and never give up. So when do we decide that we are done and we give it to God? We're going to talk about that. Because faith is always subject to God. God is not subject to faith. <laughs> That's good theology. Let's move to point number three then. And that scripture, by the way, is Job 23, 13 through 14. Write that one down. And then we've got some, some other ones uh, that, that are going to be very important. I don't know if you uh, listen uh, uh, to the... Uh, radio, there is a song on the radio right now by Phillips, Craig, and Dean. I absolutely love it uh, because it talks about you are not a God created by human hands. You're not a God created that, that we should require or tell you to do anything. 
In fact, in Isaiah, it says, who am I to tell the potter you've done it wrong? What, what does the clay look at the potter and say, you know what, you, you did this totally wrong. I, I, you need to redo this. But that's what we do, don't we? And do you know, you, you say, Pastor Brian, why are you t- talking so specifically on this? Because I have seen time and time again many a Christian who is scarred and will never be the same because of bad theology. Because someone told them if they didn't have sin in their life, God would have answered their prayer. Because somebody told them if you would have had more faith, God would have done it. It's your lack of faith. Like we know a person's heart on the inside. And I will tell you, if you ever have had God give you a message for somebody... It causes such humbleness in me. When I go to that person, I say, I believe that the Lord has placed something for me to say to you, but you make sure the Holy Spirit confirms it to your heart. Because you know what? I'm not the end all and the say all. God is. So as we look at this, I want to talk about faith in God alone. You are God, and that's just the way it is. And that's the part of that song that I love. You are God, and that's just the way it is. It's the way he's created it to be. In fact, one of my favorite Max Licato stories is about how, again, he goes to this person that... that, uh, dies and he gets to heaven and he just keeps asking the angel the strangest questions. The angel's showing him all around heaven. He says, so when am I going to get to be like, when am I going to be exactly, uh, when am I going to know everything? And the angel, every time he asked the question, kind of looked at him and then proceeded on. And the guy was kind of getting irritated. He finally said, you haven't answered my question. I have asked you from the moment I came here, when am I going to know and understand everything? And the angel looked at him and said, are you asking when you're going to be God? And the person went, no. And the angel said, to know everything is to only be God. And guys, when we get to heaven, he will still be God and we will still be man. Faith in God alone. So what, when we have faith in God alone, where does it take us? And this is where I want to take us now. What is real faith? You, if you follow me on Facebook, you saw my post this week. You saw where I said faith. And I was really saying, Lord, give me a concept. Help me know this. Because I will tell you, there's no one who will pray and believe harder than me until God gives an answer. But see, that's what we don't understand. God gives the answer. He gives the yes. He gives the wait, not right now. And he gives the no. You may not understand, but I've got something bigger. That's the one that disturbs us the most. But as we look at these, you find three people that I want to talk about. Three people, and there's more in the Bible, by the way. These aren't the only three. But these three inspire me. 
Because it's they that truly set the bar for what faith in God is. And if I only have faith for God to do whatever I say, what kind of a God really is that? <laughs> really isn't God at all, is it? So let's look at Job 13, 15. There's no one who had a rougher life than Job. I mean, you know, if you look at the book of Job, uh, Job really had some things that you would look and you'd think, man, talk about a bad day at the office. <laughs> I mean, this is, if it, you know that old song, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. I, I don't know if you remember that old song, but sometimes we look at this and we feel like that, don't we? When we're in our circumstance, we feel like no, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. <laughs> nobody knows my sorrow. <laughs> It's true, isn't it? That's human. It's our human nature. But look at what Job said. And this, this is what really intrigues me. Job, and God took care of Job's pride. Understand that, Job. God dealt with that. And when God said, brace yourself, I'm about to talk to you, boy, I hope I never hear God say that to me. Because <laughs> that is not a good day. <laughs> but listen to what Job says with all of his friends who wanted to tell him how he'd sinned, how he, he ought to just curse God and die, God didn't care about him anymore. I mean, Job heard it all from the people that were supposed to be talking on God's behalf. And God dealt with them harshly because they did not give Job what God was saying. But listen to what Job says, uh, Job thirteen fifteen. One of the most powerful statements of faith in the Bible. Though he slay me. Now, if you look at that word in the Hebrew, that means unjustly take my life. I will hope in him. That means trust him. That means even in my natural mind, if it looks like God is being unfair and unjust, I still will trust him. That is a statement of faith. That's the faith I want to have. I want to say, God, I'm going to pray, I'm going to believe, but even if I don't get it, I'm still going to praise your name. I'm still holding on to you, and you're still God and still holy. Amen? Then let's look at 2 Samuel. This is another great passage of Scripture. 2 Samuel. This is where David uh, has this child that was born in sin. And God clearly said to David that the child isn't going to make it. But here we find David, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12 is where you find David lays before God. He, he lays in sackcloth and ashes. He doesn't eat. He fasts and he prays and he lays to the point where his servants were scared to death because they said, if he's acting like this while the child is alive, 
don't dare tell him the child is gone. He may, do, he may take his own life. He may do something desperate. But as you read the story, David, laying before God, heard somehow the servants talking. Let's not tell him. No, don't tell him. No, are you going to tell him? No, I'm not going to tell him. Somehow he heard the commotion, and he got up and he said, is the child gone? And they said, yes. David went immediately, got in the shower, cleaned himself up, put on perfume, and the servant said, he's gone nuts. <laughs> hey, something is wrong. And David makes the most incredible statement of faith. Chapter 12, verse 23, he says, but now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. That is not a statement to tell you God does not raise the dead. He does. And when God has a purpose for it, death cannot hold anyone down. We have had it documented of God raising people from the dead. He does it. But what a statement of faith of David to say, you know what, God made his decision and I'm going to move on and I'm going to see the child again. The last one, and you know probably this if you, uh, is we're going to go to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is our example the supreme, ultimate example of faith. And even here in Luke 22, where we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we see the fact that the sin of the world was going to be laid on him, listen to what Jesus says in Luke 22:42. He says, saying while he prayed, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me. At that point, Jesus was saying to God, God, everything within me does not want to go through with this. If there's another way for you to do this, let's find it. Now would be a great time and then listen to what he says, the most incredible statement of faith, yet not my will, but thine be done. That is a statement of faith, faith in God alone. Faith in God alone. Now, I tell you, when you come and you're believing God for something, I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to stand with you. I will continue to pray just as Jesus said. But we need to understand that faith always rests with God. Not with us. Not with faith in faith. And we must have faith or we will not please God. Amen? Bow your head with me.